You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys, episode number 54, for Monday the 13th of March 2017. My guest today is a writer of science fiction who shares many of my childhood TV preferences. Marita King's stories are inspired by watching Star Trek, with William Shatner of course, and Blake Seven, which was really popular in the UK in the 1970s. Marita is the creator of a series of chronicles, a series of vlogs, and several standalone stories. She's a self-published author and regular blogger who also provides some excellent and helpful how-to articles on her website. Marita began writing in 2011 and has a backlist of 12 books to her name. When we chatted for the podcast, I started by asking her what drives her to write so much. Well, that was really as a result of growing up with um, my parents, both of whom liked sci-fi excuse me, and um, astronomy, and they were always out looking at the stars, and Mother was a a mad Star Trek fan, Um, and we watched all the episodes, and anything to do with sci-fi, she had books that I read. I really grew up with it. It became just normal for me. But without wanting to be uh, sexist, it's not something that women usually like. You know, they usually groan at football and Star Trek, don't they? Yes, and and as a, it's funny you should say that because as a female sci-fi writer, I do find that um, I'm in a minority. Though I read on your autobiography, or not your autobiography, but your bio, that you liked Blake Seven. Now then, now then, we could talk about that all night. That was good, wasn't it? Well, I don't pretend to be an expert on it. So again, it was one of the things my mother was mad about. So we had to watch it because, you know, she's the mum and I was the kid sort of thing, you know. Um, but, yeah, I remember watching Blake Seven and all those other ones exactly like that. She still talks about that now. Really? Well, if it's any consolation, these were the things that inspired my love of sci-fi too. So, you know, we're, we're very much kindred spirits with that because I used to love, and we're talking about Star Trek, the, the, the 60s series, aren't we? We're not talking about the oh. later Star Treks. Oh, God, yeah, the, um, the original series, it has to be every time. <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 they were amazing. You think the uh, communicators now, we're all carrying around in our pockets, aren't we? It's great. That's right. There's an interesting article. I, I believe it's one of the things I tweet from time to time about all the things on Star Trek that are actually around now. And it's great inspirational stuff then. So when when did this TV watching you know, begin to turn into creativity and, and writing stories? Well, I re- my first attempt at seriously writing a story was after reading a book my mother had called The Claw by Nora Lofts. I think it was Nora Lofts. Um, and 
it inspired me. It was actually a horror story, but it it, it inspired me with this story um, of this man who had visions and all this, that and the other. And I started to write it and I'd got a few pages down. I was just a teenager at the time and I showed it to my mother to see what she thought. And she spent more time laughing at all my spelling and grammar mistakes and, and never really made any sort of useful critical comment on the story which i took a bit to heart so oh, i gave up so you had, gave... Your, you had your first skirmish with an editor even at that age <laughs> yeah. <laughs> indeed yeah so i gave up and i and i didn't actually start actively writing sci-fi stories until 2011 oh that's really sad though isn't it that's so important isn't it what you've just said there is that it only takes you know one person to scoff laugh or diminish what you're doing and it can put off that creativity yeah. for a lifetime almost a lifetime yeah it can it's so easy when you're a kid or a teenager you're so ready to absorb anything and and you look to people for you know for motivation and how you know how to regard yourself you know you're still searching for your own identity and your own image if you like your own self-image and and it can really sort of put the knockers on any creative dreams you might have that's a terrible shame so how how long was it between you uh, being discouraged at that age and you, your mum didn't mean it probably but it's just how it the impact it has uh, uh, until you've sort of picked it up and, and started again well no she didn't mean him uh, you know she wasn't being mean or anything but uh, oh gosh I've got to think back now we were still living in Petersfield then and we left there when I was 14 and I didn't write my first science fiction until 2011 so that would be 1976 to 2011 wow that's such a long time is it what a shame you could have been writing all that time uh, yeah you know been published by now could have given jk rowling a run for her money well of course in those days it was traditional publishing was all there was and you had to hope that somebody took you on. So it would have been a heck of a fight. But even in 2011, Marita, uh, you know, um, indie publishing, uh, it was around then, wasn't it? But it was, I think it was quite different even in 2011. It was not exactly in its infancy, but it was young. It was a young, new technology. And is that what drew you to it, that... that was it was it the idea and the need to express your creativity that made you write or was it realizing that actually you know you can actually get published and get your work out there now well <laughs> this is i'm going to admit something funny now that the the actual original inspiration for writing my first science fiction what became my first science fiction novel was because of um a conversation on a Facebook page of a fairly famous actor who I probably shouldn't name. But anyway, he's um, quite well known for one particular character. And in those days, Facebook pages, I don't know whether you remember or not, they had a, a page you could add which would have like a discussion forum. Yes. And... Um, a lot of this person's fans used to go on there and talk and discuss and 
whatnot. And one of the conversations was, how about if we try and write our own scene for a movie um, centred around this famous character that we all loved? And and so several of the um, girl fans had a go, and I read them all and laughed at most of them because they were really not very good, you know, and just vehicles for... Shall we say erotica? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I didn't intend to have a go. I, I just read a few, and, and after reading, you know, a few of them, and they got so bad, I thought I can do better than this. I can surely do better than this. So I thought, right, I'm going to have a go. So I started to write that evening, and. I finally forced myself away from the computer at 4 a.m. Wow. And, I, and I'd written about 17,000 words. And then you knew you'd got it. You'd got the bug, hadn't you, by then? Yeah, and I thought, yeah, this was supposed to be just one scene, but, you know, this, this could run for a long time. So I carried on with it, and it became quite clear quite quickly that, you know, this could be a book. And then, of course, I had to go back and change all the, the people because of copyright and trademark and everything. I can't use a famous character. So I had to go back and change everything um, and just keep the basic plot. And, and that's how it started, really. And, you know, Marita, if I was a time traveller and I travelled back to that day, I'd have been watching you do that and think, that's a good idea, fan fiction. <laughs> Let's travel to the future and call it fan fiction because that's what you're writing then, isn't it? Yeah, it, yeah, that's how it started. That's what I intended it to be. It wasn't around in 2011, though, fan fiction. Was it not in the way it is now? It's huge now, fan fiction. Uh, well, I was the first. <laughs> yeah, well, there was a time travel. That's what it is, you know. It's the, the making of science fiction, this. <laughs> so, I mean, 17,000. You know, if you can write 17,000 in that period of time, then you're not the kind of person who suffers from writer's block or, or, or procrastination by the sounds of it. No, no, I don't. Not normally. I have had a dry spell over the past few months, um, but I'm not worried about it. I, I don't sit and chew my fingers and think, oh, God, I'm never going to write again. Oh, woe is me. I, I'm not like that. You know, it's very much an inspired thing. I, I look upon my writing as very much inspired by something outside of myself. And so it'll come back when it wants to come back. And it has started to come back. I, 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 I've, I can feel it knocking on the door sort of thing. I, re I really agree with you about that, Marita. I've, li I've literally just broken that spell today. I, I needed to, you know, start writing again. And, um, you know, just couldn't... I've got I've always got stories but you know the story that just excites you and makes you want to to go at it and and that has just come this week and I've been struggling for it but I, I agree with you it just seems to land from nowhere like a spaceship that's right it'll it comes at the right time and I've tried a couple of times during the dry spell to to sit and start writing I had a brilliant idea for a book and I started writing it and I wrote quite a lot of it and then it became clear that it was really not working. So uh, I was so enthusiastic, I started again. I've never done that before. 
Um, so I started again and did it slightly differently. And, and again, it became quick. It quickly became apparent that it wasn't going to work that way either. So I thought, right, this is obviously a message that this isn't really what I should do at this time. So I, so I put it aside and um, started on something else. I started on a, a new volume of one of my series um, and um, I had a bit of a problem with that too. I, I've got the plot, I've got the characters and everything, but it I kind of got allowed the plot to get sidetracked along a different tack, so I've got to go back and, and kind of trim that off a bit. Yeah, things do need a little bit of reworking sometimes. Let's go back to that um, first uh, story that you were writing in 2011. Did that one make it to publication, that first story that you were writing? Yes, yes, well it did. That, that was my first book, Redemption. Fantastic. And so uh, as a first book then, because the first book is almost an exploration, I think, you, you kind of got to get to the end to actually know, understand the journey in many respects. And then next time you do it, it's just travelling the journey again. But but with that first book then, how difficult was it? How long did it take you? It took two months. Wow, not fast. That was to get the first draft finished. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was weird because when I started, it was like all that inspiration that had not been expressed over the years just came pouring out and I it it became a four book series and I would get all the plot and everything for the next book when I was halfway through the, the previous one and I'd get the plot for the third one halfway through the second one and and it went like that through the whole four of the series it was like they just couldn't wait they wanted to tell their story you know it's really interesting that because um i i keep writing in trilogies and i'm trying to just write a standalone one but um i i trilogies seems to be my 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 natural setting and like like you i'm writing a story and i think actually i I don't want to tidy this up in one book there's more to come here and as you're writing it you you see it it emerges in front of you i think is that how you experience it yes yes i don't like to leave my series on cliffhangers though i don't think readers like that and i've i've seen lots of other writers and readers saying they hate cliffhangers so I, I, I do always... cliffhangers actually it's, it's interesting I've, I've done cliffhangers and i know it annoys some people yeah but i warn people i do put this this book um you know contains cliffhangers but yeah i, I have left them on cliffhangers yeah so i know it's quite controversial isn't it cliffhangers it is. Uh, people either love it or hate it. Um, I don't do it. I like to tidy up the story and finish it. Al- although it's a series, it's um, a, it's the same characters, but they have a different adventure, if you like, every book. It's not one adventure spread over four books. Do, do you leave anything open at the end? I'm interested to talk about this because I've done um, I've done two sci-fi trilogies and they had cliffhangers and then they ended on the, the third book. And then I've just written three uh, thrillers. And in actual fact, although that story ends, it ends. I've ended it on a, on a question mark. It's not a cliffhanger, but it is that sort of sense that something else is coming. Are yours completely self-contained when you do them? They are. They are self-contained, yes. Mm, they I, are. I'll have to think about that. What I do um, throughout the book, I'll drop little hints 
um, which become clear when you read the next book. I'll um, mention a person or, you know, something might happen in the future or whatever, and then, you know, it'll come to light in the following book. And I, and I might even then refer back, you know, oh, back when we were so-and-so, do you remember, sort of thing, you know. Uh, I do that, but that's very subtle hints. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, a crumb trail, I call that. Like, you know, Hansel and Gretel leaving little crumbs around um, to, to follow um, yeah. in, in a book. When you wrote that first book, were you um, pen and paper or were you typing on a computer then? Oh, typing. I, I can't do it with a pen and paper. I just can't. It's interesting, that, isn't it? It's easier to compose, I think, on computers. Yeah, and you can... There's, there's something about seeing what you've written. You can put... When you're typing, you can use all of your concentration on reading what you've written. When, when you're writing... And my writing is dreadful, my handwriting... Um, it's not so easy to go back and correct mistakes and you end up with a lot of crossings out and scribblings out and it just looks all messy and horrible. So I just prefer to type it. It's cleaner and tidier and, it, and, it's, and it's right there. It's easier to see. Now, although it sounds ridiculous saying this about 2011, um, self-publishing would have been much more difficult, I'm guessing, than it is now in 2017. Uh, uh, you have to have a little bit more technical knowledge, I'm guessing? Well, you don't have to. You can pay others to do the bits that are technologically um, beyond you. You don't have to learn how to do it all yourself. You can just begin and end with writing the first book, if you, you know, the, the first couple of drafts if you want to. Um, but, of course, you've got to pay people a lot of money, which as self-published authors most of us don't have. <laughs> um, so it does pay to learn to do all those bits yourself, the formatting and stuff like that. I, I've had to learn all that as I went along. I didn't have a clue about any of that. I didn't even know how to... Uh, mess around with photographs or uh, anything like that and now I do my own covers I do my own formatting for paperback and kindle um, and it and it's relatively straightforward and and it it was driven really by the fact that I just couldn't afford to pay people to do it for me and and do you do you go for editing or do you just keep reading yourself until you're, you're happy that it's fine I do all that myself for two reasons. One, I can't afford to pay editors because they, they charge a lot, usually per thousand words or whatever. Um, and also because uh, I have this kind of, um, this weird sort of thing about somebody else, some stranger interfering with my friends you know my characters and my story um as i said before i regard my stories as having come from outside of myself and to me it's someone else has told me their story and they want me to actually write it and for somebody else to come and chop it up and cut it up and say this is no good this is useless you've got to change this it would almost it feel to me like i was being disrespectful to the people that told me the story it's it sounds weird it makes me sound 
crazy, I know. Maybe I am. That's fine. It works for me. <laughs> no, but I, so I think a lot of this goes back to, um, we, we sound like we're sort of children of the same kind of, you know, schooling age and things like that. And, um, I, I, um, you know, things like tests uh, and things and exams and things used to terrify the life out of me. And that kind of judgmental, that testing all the time, that, that somebody telling you whether you've done a good job or not, um, still terrifies me, actually, about the, the editing process. Uh, it's like getting marked work back at school. You know, it just, um, I have bad associations with that. I don't know about you. Uh, well, I've never got anybody else to do it. So that's not something I've ever encountered. But I can imagine that it would bother me intensely. And it would, rather than sort of upset me, it would make me jolly angry. <laughs> because it's quite a precious thing, isn't it, a story? And then to have somebody um, tear it to pieces is, um, well, is, you know, it's a quite a hard thing to go through, I think. Well, I, feel, I just feel possessive over it. You know, I, I don't, nobody else knows the characters like I do. Nobody else understands them as people. To me, I look at them as people. Um, and it's like, I'm, I'm the one that understands them the best. I understand their story the best. They're, I'm the one who sat here with them, stood beside me telling me their story for all these weeks on end. So nobody else is really equipped or or worthy or uh, experienced enough to be able to say that's wrong or you've got to take that bit out or whatever only only i can do that because i know them the people and the story the best when you wrote that um, and published that first book in, in 2011 had you really got the bug then was there no stopping you at that point oh yes absolutely yes as i said um, earlier it just all came pouring out and, and I wrote several books in quick succession um, it was like it just wouldn't stop it was like I opened the floodgates and it took two or three years for it to begin to calm what about finding your first audience um, I mean I, I say that self-publishing would have been quite different in, in 2011 but then it, many people regarded as the golden age of self-publishing because there weren't that many people doing it as there, as there are now how, how did you find the landscape and how easy was it for you to just get going as an unknown author it was incredibly difficult the, the actual writing of the book and, and getting it ready for people to buy is the easy bit. It was the easy bit and still is the easy bit. Getting people to buy it has always been something that has proved an almost impossible task for me. I find that part of it so hard. I'm just, I'm no good at, at selling anything at all. Yet you have a lovely... I mean, your your online presence. I don't. I won't talk to anybody if they haven't got a decent online presence, because you know there's nowhere for me to send anybody to to find you now. And and I, you know, I have to say, you've got a great blog. Uh, you're on Google Plus. You're on Goodreads. You're on Twitter. You're on LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry. You're well. You're on Facebook. I beg your pardon. You're on Facebook, uh, and you've got a good, um, strong presence there. So, so yeah, I've done that part of it. You know, yeah. I've link, linked everything up and, you know, I read that, you know, you have to be 
present everywhere, you know, so I've tried to uh, have a presence everywhere that would seem to matter, you know, and I've, you know, there, wherever it's possible for me to, say, have my Twitter also post to there, I do, and my Facebook posts go to my Twitter, because I heard that if you have it the other way, everybody gets annoyed, so <laughs> that's fine, you know, I, I, I see all these hints and tips, and the ones that I can do, I do, so it, I, I do try to have a good internet presence, but as far as actually persuading people to buy and take a chance on somebody they don't know is something that I don't suppose will ever come easy to me. I think I think it is one of the things that most independent authors uh, struggle with if they haven't got that that kind of background. It's it's as you say it's one thing writing the books. It's a completely different skill set to go out there and and get people to buy them however much you love your own books and want to recommend them. I know. It's a, yeah. a, I wish we could have a little, I don't know, we, we need some other sci-fi thing, don't we, so that we can have a little implant that just sorts this out for us, some genetic implant or something that we can have in a sci-fi world. We, we need a, a robot, yes. a, a PR robot. <laughs> That's, right. That's what we need. He'll just attach to the computer and he'll do all your marketing for you. Got, that, that's what we need. I think well, we need something to help, don't we? Because it's uh, it would help a lot of people out. I think that would great. You can pay if you if you have a lot of money, you can pay certain websites to um, do an advert for your book. There's one very famous one which I I won't mention because it's probably not very cool, um, but it's very famous. Everybody knows who it is. Um, and you pay them a lot of money and they will do a, um, a, you know, a little thing saying you've got this book, an advert, you know, in their e-magazine, um, which apparently has a shed load of readers. But, and there are several other people doing similar things, but they all say, oh, your book's got to have so many reviews at so many stars before we'll even entertain it and even if it does they can still say no we're not interested and all all you know even there there's a kind of cliquey elitism that really niggles me you know it makes it difficult you know if we're supposed to have so many reviews at a certain number of stars before we can advertise on these places how the hell do we get those reviews if they won't advertise? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's always they, chicken and egg, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they they yeah they won't just take your money and do your advert. Mm. They, you know, they're they're trying to kind of cherry pick the what they regard as the best. So how do you become the best? How do you get all these five star reviews? If you know, please tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, the the um, I think the the good thing at the moment is something called. Um, that the buzz at the moment is something called Insta Freebie. Have you heard of Insta Freebie? No. In, Insta Freebie is something. Have you got a? I'm just trying to look at your website. Are you building a mailing list? You are, aren't you? Just yes, you are mailing. You are. You've got a mailing list, I think, haven't you? Well, I did. I did try, but um, I had this thing with Mailchimp. Yes. Um, but nobody signed up, basically. Yes. So after about six months, I scrapped it. 
it, it, it is a struggle uh, to get an emailing list, but the way that Insta Freebie works is people, and you see you're in a good genre because you're doing sci-fi, is that um, uh, authors group together and create, you know, maybe packs of, of 10 books. So they use this Insta Freebie so that people can uh, download um, a, a free book and they all sort of market it on their social channels. Now, you have got very good social channels. So uh, if you haven't got a mailing list, you could at least use your, your social channels. And effectively, you give away books, but you build your MailChimp list by giving these books away on, on Insta Freebie. I'll tell you what I'll do. After we've finished chatting, I'll make a note of it now. You can hear me tearing off my... <laughs> if I don't write it down at my age, it doesn't get done. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll send you some links, if that's okay. And have oh, a look that'd at be it. great. Because it's something that's... that you can do without, you know, uh, well, for free. For, for just in, It's called a, a joint venture partnership. It's where, you know, people who, who are all in the same boat work together to try and help each other. So um, it might work for you. I'll, give it, I'll, I'll, I'll recommend it to you and give it a try. That'd be great. Thank you. And no money required, I don't think. I'm trying to think. I think I'm sure Insta Freebie is free. I'm sure it is. Uh, well, even better. Yeah, I'm sure it is. MailChimp's free. Um, so, I'm, you know, I'm sure you can get going with that for free. So I'll send you those links after we've chatted. And for people listening to this interview, I'll put the links on your page that I create for you, Marita, after the interview when, when the podcast goes live. Um, okay. And we'll, and we'll share that. Now, yeah, lovely. I, you see, now, interesting, so you, you say that, but I, I discovered you because I was having a heck of a problem um, trying to work out how I got my tax back, my 30% tax retention back in the United yeah. States. And, and I'll be honest with you, when I started, I just thought, oh, I won't be earning anything anyway. It doesn't matter. I'll sort that out later. And then I Same had, as what I thought. <laughs> you just put it off. And then I had a good month just before Christmas. So I had a terrible month this month just to... Just, just to stress, but I had a good, I had a good month before Christmas, and I thought, you know, oh, actually, I, I need that money in my bank now. I can't, you know, I can't just ignore that. This, this isn't just a couple of dollars. I think it was over a hundred. It was over a hundred pounds. I thought it's got to come into my bank now. And, yeah, um, I listened. I listened to your podcast on that. You heard me ranted about that. Good. Yeah. <laughs> and and I found your. When I was, you know, hunting around, just just somebody tell me how to do this easily, will you? Um, and, and your article was brilliant. It was 2012, I think you wrote it. Was it 2012, 2013, something like that? Was it really that long ago? Gosh. Yeah, it's an old one because I, I looked at it. I was surprised. I read it like it was just been written and it came up high in the search engines. Um, uh, this is the advantage of you doing the blog that you do because people can find your content. And um, my goodness, you made it easy. It was brilliant. And I followed it. I followed it to the letter you gave a telephone number to ring the, is it the IRS in the States? I don't know what they call them in the States, but the tax Yes, people. IRS, yeah. And, and it had changed fractionally at the time that you'd done it. I think you said press one, and, and nowadays you press one, is it for, no, for you, language? Uh, uh, when I did it, you didn't have to, I don't think you had to choose your language, and I had to press two. Oh, right, yes. Yeah. So, so when I got the options, and, and your update is that you press one and not two. And you have to choose your language. I have updated that blog with your information, by the way. Thanks for telling me that. Well, it was only, to be honest with you, even reading your article, you know, to me, it didn't take any figuring out because it was just a menu on, on the phones. But your description of what they asked you and what happened was absolutely perfect because the other thing that I expected when I rang the States, um, it's always a bit intimidating, isn't it? Because you, and, and I thought they might ask me for all sorts of identification and numbers, but it was easy. It was name, address, start date, I think it was, something like that. Yeah, it's all very basic stuff. And so why did I put it off so long, Marita? 
Well, when you don't know, you do. I mean, I did. I was exactly the same as you. Before I found the information for myself, I just thought, because I did go into it a bit, and I think I say in the article, there's this horrendous, uh, at least there was at that time, there was this awfully horrendous rigmarole you had to go through. You had to get all these documents. You had to get them signed by a notary, which meant for us going to somewhere like London, paying money, paying a lot of money, you know, and then waiting weeks on end. And it. And I just, I was reading this and I thought, I can't be asked with all that. So... Um, I just forgot about it. I just thought, well, you know, I'm not really very likely to, to make a lot of money, so it probably doesn't matter that I'm going to lose 30% of it. You know, it's just the the internet world is made for Americans, so, yeah, we just have to suck it up, really. And um, I was just searching around to see if there was any any way else or any way else around it and I just happened across a couple of things which I put together and came up with this possible solution which I thought well there's no harm in making a phone call I'm willing to spend the money on a phone call and it worked and I was amazed so to say the least. Mm. Absolutely amazed. And what you'll find, I don't know if you've had it yet, but what you'll find, they'll send you this document through the post, uh, this official thing. I haven't had it yet. No, no. I'll, I'll probably worry when it comes. I'll sort of, you know, if anything official always makes me, uh, and money related, always makes me come out of a sweat. <laughs> Well, it's quite funny because it will have all the sort of American things with IRS written on it, and you think, oh, my God, you know. Uh, but, no, it's just the official thing about your EIN number. And So you just just file it away and keep it. And then so so what happened? Now I've done it and I've completed the forms and I've got 0% there now, not 30 uh, for for the retention amount. Uh, presumably they don't backdate it. Presumably it just starts with your next payment. Uh, that I don't know. I can't tell you that. I've no idea. Oh, I have to wait and see. Because I remember in your article you said um, you just I think did it from that date, didn't you? Whereas I I I backdated it to when I became a sole trader, which was I think um, end of September again. So I was a limited company before that. So um, I gave oh, it right. that date. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed. If you if you see sort of if you hear whoops and hurrahs from Cumbria, you'll know that they backdated it for me. Right, yeah, your case is a little bit different. I didn't backdate mine. I just did it from that day. Well, I'll I'll, I'll let people know on the diary. I'll, I'll update it when when it, what's what's the date now? We're not due to get paid, are we, for a little while from Amazon? So I'll let people know towards the end of the month when it's what I call Amazon payday comes. You know, starts when that, when, <laughs> when, when, when that comes in. It's not a very good payday, but you know, it, it, it's a little bit of a payday at least. Anyway, so um, you know, we, we all have to start somewhere. Which actually takes me to something that I found on your blog, and um, it's a, it, it's a very powerful piece of writing. I hope you don't mind me mentioning this, but it, it is on your blog. It's a piece that you wrote, and um, I'll just give you a taste of it, if I may. But it, it's it's you sort of expressing your frustration that your writing career isn't going um, as, as well as you would like it to, and, and mm. you've, you've put it that I'm now experiencing the painful trauma of realising that I'm wasting my time publishing and probably should not bother doing so again. When I say painful, I mean mm -hmm. it. Failing at this is the most painful thing in my entire life so far. I cannot adequately explain how much I want to be a successful novelist and to fail so spectacularly is a burden that is too much to bear. Now, I, I made sure I highlighted that because 
I bet that speaks to so many people who are listening to this right now. Yeah. When, when you, whatever your dream is, whatever your calling may be, when you know that with every fibre of your being, it's what you want to do and, and you just keep hitting against these brick walls and there just seems no way that, that you can possibly achieve it. It, isn't, it is awful, absolutely awful mental anguish you go through when yet another dream gasps its last. You know, I mean, it's happened to me so often as I've been growing up and, you know, tried different hobbies, tried different things and failed at most of them, you know, and you think, oh, you know, that's another wasted year or six months or why did I bother trying? And you go into that kind of wallowing sort of period afterwards. Um, and it, it was the same all over again, you know. And, and I, when you're doing something creative, you put so much of yourself in there because especially with fiction, probably only with fiction, there's a bit of you in every part that you write. Every character has a, a little tiny bit of you. The situations, the plot there'll be a tiny bit of something you've experienced in there. You can't help but do that. They say write about what you know, and what you know best is yourself and your life and how you felt about it. And you might not even realise you're doing it, but you're putting bits of yourself into your writing all the time. And to have that just sort of fail is, is like you failed as a person in a way. I felt it was so um, painfully honest and, and you know you said all, all have failed to sell still nobody's interested in my work I've tried doing free giveaways one Facebook release event I arranged garnered the impressive attendance of just two and oh. I just, but it's it's painful to read um, but but I totally um, identify because I you know as I've had exactly the same situations when it seems that all around it's why i started this podcast actually because it seems that when you listen to other podcasts all around you are making billions of dollars and all they had to do was you know sneeze uh, and and it happened and then here you are struggling away trying to get some traction trying desperately you know trying everything that people are recommending and it just doesn't seem to be happening for you i feel that way yeah too I don't know whether you've encountered the same thing, but there's a lot of snobbiness with the self-published author crowd, as I call it. The, the ones who are starting to have a little bit of success, a lot of them sort of look down on those of us that are struggling and regard themselves, oh, we're successful now, you know, we're a bit better than you, you know, and it comes out in the comments they make you know, in Facebook groups and places like that. And I've had some really quite sort of shocking things said to me. For instance, if I may, um, on one group that I used to belong to, uh, we were talking about um, hiring an editor. And um, I wasn't the only one who said, you know, we can't all afford that, you know, and, and that I commented in the same vein you know i can't afford it um so i have to do it myself um and this one person um replied and said well if you're not going to pay an author 
you you obviously do not feel very good about your own work. Yeah, I, I think you see, this is taking us back to um, the sort of feedback that, that your mum gave you, in all innocence, of course, when you were a child. But a comment like that can just dash someone's hopes and aspirations, I think. And mm. when, when, I, when I talk about self-publishing, I always say to people that what you need to do is you need to get to a point where it's as good as you can possibly make it with the resources mm. that you have. And, yeah. and, and, and which is what you're doing. You know, you're not going to put something that you think's rubbish out there. You're going to pour over it. I bet, you know, you've already took, you pour over it through several drafts until it's as good as you can make it. And then that's when you should release it. And go back to it later because you continue to learn. When I now read that first book that I published, I notice you know, errors that I wasn't aware I was making at the time because, you know, my things like my grammar has uh, my knowledge of grammar and spelling and phraseology and all those kind of things has continued to grow and so I can look back on the earlier stuff and think gosh you know and so at some time in the future I'll go back and re-edit those and redo them but but shouldn't that be true of anything in life, Marita? You know, if you if you just ride a bicycle for the first time, when you ride a bicycle in twenty years' time, you're going to be much more accomplished. It's the same with driving. It's the same with reading. It's the same with speaking. It's the same with jobs. It's the same with anything you do. On day one, you're always a novice, and and the longer you stick with it, the more expert you become. Absolutely, but the trouble is when you're selling a product people will judge you on that very first thing that will forever color how they regard you no matter how good you become 10 years later they will always remember that rather grotty first attempt i know that and just for, again people listening to this i know that one of the um, great pieces of advice that i've heard for people who are new to writing and 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 maybe a little bit nervous about how their work will be received i think the the recommended wisdom now is 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 launch your first one with a pen name and um and then if it you know if it's terrible then you can <laughs> just invent another pen name and you can that's actually a good idea get away from that you know and then when you're writing stuff that's that's really hitting the mark use your own name and then maybe come back to those books you know, delist them and, and you know, rewrite them as, as you were talking about just then under your new I think that's good advice, isn't it? I think that's probably um, sound advice and, and that would have worked for you presumably when you started. That was That's a marvellous idea. I wish I'd known that. <laughs> <laughs> we're all wiser after the event, aren't we? <laughs> but, I mean, but you see, again, you've said something else really important there. This is self-publishing. You can go back to those books and you can rewrite them if you realise that you could do better. Now, if you'd have had, you know, 10,000 printed, that's it. The horse has bolted. But at any time with the self-published book, you can go into the file, you can change it, and, and everybody else who buys it after that gets the updated file. That's one of the many joys of self-publishing. You've got total control over everything. You can go back and fiddle with it a 100 times if you want to. You haven't got anybody breathing down your neck, you know, saying, well, you can't do this or you've got to do that. You can do exactly what you want with it. The, and the other thing about what you were saying, about the, the, the negative comment that you had about not having an editor, of course, um, the ultimate judge, whether it has an editor or not, as the reader, uh, they uh, and, and, you know, nobody would claim that um, the Fifty Shades 
books are you know work, <laughs> works of art. But but, but I, I'm guessing that you like me, you'd like a little bit of that success, regardless of how literary it was. I wish I could get that much success for writing so badly. <laughs> but but that's it, isn't it? You know, if if people love the book, actually, it doesn't really matter that much. That's right. And I've, it's interesting, actually, I, I wrote a blog article about this very subject, um, writing for readers, not writing for writers. The trouble is, readers have a totally different way of approaching a book than a writer will. A writer will look at a book and they will notice, I mean, I've done it myself, since I've started writing, it's kind of changed the way I enjoy books now. We notice grammatical errors, we know plot holes, we notice all the things that are wrong with it, we notice all the mistakes, and they leap out at us because we're used to looking for them. And they're the things that we use to judge the book and therefore the writer. A reader just wants a story that's going to entertain them. They want a main character they can fall in love with or admire in some way or have a crush on. They want a good story with, you know, with reasonable amount of action and usually a happy ending or an interesting ending at least. They want an encapsulated story that's going to take them away from the menial drudgery of their own lives for just a few hours they don't care about the odd spelling mistake or whether there's a semicolon instead of a comma or whether you've got a dangling modifier or they don't care about any of that and when you're looking for reviews and comments and critiques from other writers you're going to get a different response than you will from readers and and your the what the other writers will tell you will be far more critical than what other re readers will say. I enjoyed it. Uh, the characters were great. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Or no, didn't really grip me. Didn't really like it. And they'll leave it at that. Whereas another writer will say, Oh, I I noticed several uh, spelling errors and the the plot didn't really flow nicely and and you know you can tell a review by a writer a mile away yeah i, to I totally agree with that and I, I always likened this to when i when i was at school i i was terrible at german and i got something like i think i scraped an e at german a level it was you know i was <laughs> i was abysmal at it and then but I, that holiday after i'd done the a level i hadn't got the result we went out and stayed with some people who spoke german and all and for three weeks while we were out there i spoke in my in German. I, I used the German that I knew and I spoke to them in German. I got an, a, an E in, in the academic exam, but I spent three weeks using the language that I'd got effectively to speak to people in German. So, mm. you know, could I speak German? Well, with Germans, yes, I could, but from an academic level, I couldn't. And I think that's exactly the same as we're saying with books, that, you know, a book that there's there's different levels to it it could be an academic thing it could be perfect with grammar and spelling and everything like that but it might not have the the heart of a great story and actually the great story is the most important thing of it all that's right and i think so often we get we, we lose track of that point and i think that's the main point we have to hold on to it's the story that matters 
above and beyond anything else because a reader will forgive you the odd spelling error probably because they won't notice it they will forgive you grammatical errors they'll forgive you you know all these weird and wonderful ancient rules and regulations about what is supposedly good in inverted commas writing because they don't know about those those ancient old rules themselves either and they will they will just enjoy the story and that is the most important thing we we should never lose sight of that is right make sure the story is good the characters are believable they're friendly you can get to know them you can regard them as friends by the time you finish the book and and people will enjoy the story for that that's what that's what they want absolutely well, let's let's delve a little bit more into the stories that you've written because you 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 seem to write or you seem to have a very strong preference for series though you've written standalones too i think haven't you what what sort of came first in your your chronicles and your vlog series uh the chronicles came first the the uh, the lillian chronicles came first um and they came very quickly one after the other because the as i said the inspiration was just pouring out and um they flowed one from the other i didn't stop writing for ages um they came first and as when i started the first one i I didn't intend to write a series at all it just became sort of apparent some way through that i wanted to carry the story on I i got another idea for what they could experience and you know things that could happen to them um so i thought well write another book and then during the second one there was one character in there and i thought well he could you know something could happen to him and i've got this wonderful idea of what these characters could do and uh, and so the third book and then by the time i started the fourth book i i i knew instinctively something just inside said to me that that is the end of the series hmm. i can't tell you what it was i just knew hmm. yes i think you know when when you're done uh, and what about the was it did vlog series come come next the, the sinclair vlogs they're called aren't they yeah they came it was funny actually because the main character um sam sinclair actually appeared in the last book of the lillian chronicles well that's nice he he was one of the characters in there and by the time i finished the last book i'd begun to realize that this character had an interesting life and he would undoubtedly have stories to tell and I thought, well, I, I'd really like to go into this character a bit more. And and so his stories were, were born from that. So it wasn't quite over when you finished the Chronicles. Well, it's a sort of tenuous link, but he he came from, from there. Um, and the, the, I haven't finished the series yet, although there are four of them out um with the vlogs um they are going to continue and the, the, he hasn't he hasn't told all he wants to tell yet yes yeah well that, that's all fine and 
Um, I, I've only mentioned science fiction so far. We haven't mentioned your horror at all yet. I haven't even mentioned horror yet. So wh- when, when did the horror come up? What, what point in the, in the process did horror start to come in? Well, that was another thing I grew up indoctrinated with. My mother loved collecting um, pan books of horror. I don't know if you remember those. I do remember them, yeah. Uh, horror short stories. She had a shelf full of them, and I used to read them and loved them. And, in fact, even to this day, my preference for reading is horror. I love watching science fiction movies and series, but for reading, I actually prefer horror. Um, and so that, that's where my love of horror came and in terms of your reading then, who, who, are you, who are you reading then when you sit down to re- read a horror novel? Oh, well, I'll just read the flyleaf and if the story seems interesting, I'll read it. I don't have a preference for any particular authors now. I used to love James Herbert, mm-hmm. um, but his last two, last couple of books before he died were not as good as his earlier work and um, I was a bit disappointed although one of his books still remains my favourite horror book which one is that? it's called Nobody True oh right okay yes yeah I don't know that one you said I thought it was going to be one of the big ones oh it's a lovely book oh right lovely book well well, and what you say lovely for horror why so it's not sort of splats and and people being eaten no 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 it's just the 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 plot the story is unusual it's an unusual plot story nobody had ever written about that before um that particular plot um, and it was just so unusual and it was something that i had been interested in myself away from myself as a writer um, in real life, as they say, um, and it just sort of gripped me, and it got a bit fantastical towards the end um, because it's a horror novel, and it has to be. Um, but it's just it's just remained my favourite horror book. I recommend it to anybody that likes horror. And which of the genres that you write in would you say is is easier to sell in then? Oh, horror would be easier to sell. Definitely, there are more fans for that ac- across the board of of people. So science fiction, as you said, it's mainly men who like um, science fiction. Mainly, um, I have to say that before women write in angrily. No, absolutely, we always, <laughs> there are always exceptions. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, but it is mainly men, and female sci-fi authors are still looked a little bit as second-class citizens. I know there's been a lot of um, quite high-profile media storm about it with some well-known sci-fi writers, or should I say more successful sci-fi women writers who've been badly treated by the old gentleman's league you know yes, yes, yes. there was quite a few blogs going around about it uh, a little while ago and and i think that kind of old boys network is going to be there until the old boys are no longer there <laughs> yes and, so, and ultimately we're all just people and we're all just writing stories aren't we it doesn't really matter who it is that's right 
That's right. Uh, somebody suggested, actually, that if you are in a, a situation like that, to change the way you put your name. Instead of having your name that identifies you as a female, be like J.K. Rowling and have just an initial so that it it's a little bit of a mask as to your gender. Yes, well, I, I hear a lot of um, you know women who write thrillers, I think, try and do a similar thing. Um, which is ridiculous in this day and age. You, you shouldn't even really have to think about that, should you, I don't think. But um, th- there we are, I guess. It's a pity we have to still do that in 2017. <laughs> yes, the uh, the age of Star Trek isn't quite upon us, is it? Because I think in, in, in the sort of Star Trek world, uh, most of these things don't matter, do they, in, in that future scenario? So hopefully we'll get there in our lifetime. It would be nice to think. Well, we can dream. <laughs> certainly can. <laughs> so um, you have um, written. Is it is it is the is it twelve? You've got twelve out at the moment. Is that the the current tally, or have you sneaked any more in there? I've got twelve actually published, and one that's finished and waiting for me to start editing it. Oh, so so the next one's coming along. In in that respect, then what what is next for you? Is are you going to focus on sci-fi horror? Move into something else? Oh no, I shall carry on with sci-fi. It's it's where my writing, where I feel happiest writing. Um, I do from time to time write little horror short stories just as a break. Um, but it's the genre that I'm best at. Um, I did once try and um, bring in a little bit of a romantic thread to the story but it wasn't very well received so I might actually end up deleting that book and, and not selling it at all. Is that the AWOL one? Yeah. Mm, it's, yeah. Got, it's got a hot couple of the cover hasn't it? Yeah uh, it wasn't terribly well received they don't like my main character um, and I and I always listen, you know, to, to what people say. I always take in what they say, and um, maybe I'm just not good at romance. That's fine. I don't. I never read romance. I don't particularly like it. I I would never choose to read a romance novel. I don't watch romance movies on the TV. So it's just not my thing. So I, I won't. I doubt I shall try that again. No, but it's good that but you I, did. Oh, I believe in pushing yourself yeah. and having a go at something new. It keeps you fresh and, you know, gives your mind something to work on and it may work or it may not. You may get something from it which you can then take back to what you what you are feeling comfortable with. Uh, it's never a wasted effort. And if I go back to that, um, you know, quite very very painfully honest uh, piece that you wrote uh, on your blog where are you with that now if you're on your 13th book and working on that uh, and you've planned to write more I take it you're just going to keep pushing on are you with this well I'm certainly going to keep writing because I can't not write Um, while the inspiration's there I have to continue Um, and I will still self-publish them but I have had to finally admit that I'm so innately useless at marketing that they will probably never sell, and that's okay. They'll they'll always be there. Um, It's my little bit of a legacy to the universe, if you like. 
I, I, I've had to sort of swallow that pill, you know, that I'm never actually going to be successful, but at least I've published them. I, I, I think, I mean, just to put that in context, um, I there was a Arthur C. Clarke book from the 1950s that was on the sci-fi channel. It had never been televised before. And I remember saying, you know, to my wife, crikey, you know, what, what an amazing thing that he wrote that book in the 50s. And it was, he wrote loads of books, I know. But, but that one had remained you know under the, the dust sheets and then yeah. even now you know 50 60 years later somebody had discovered that uh, you know done a new take on it and it was amazing on the tv so uh, what i would say to you and to other independent authors you know listening to this interview is what you're creating is assets they don't go rusty they don't rot away like a piece of wood does you know they're there for all time and at any time that could come um, but all the time you're just building up assets, you're lining up your assets and they're not going anywhere. So you never know when that time uh, might come. So don't you know, don't give up on it. Keep keep writing is what I would say. Yes, definitely keep writing. But, uh, you know, you have to, sometimes you get to the point where you really do have to realise your limitations and it takes a while to come to, a sort of peaceful sort of truce with with what those limitations may be you know with without continuing to try and fight against these things you've got no hope of some walls you just can't bash down <laughs> well you never know who's reading that's what i would say and and particularly in these days of ebooks you never know who has picked up your book and where they're reading from and what it might inspire so um i i would give you that hope and and, <laughs> and hope that one day you know it, it fires as, as as it does for everybody who's, who's writing because it, it takes a lot of uh, time uh, you know commitment and there's a lot of hope caught up in it all isn't there yeah yeah there is a lot and you you have to hang on to that for the, to do what we do as self-publishers you have to first have a thick skin and you have to not give in to the sort of the anger and the the feeling of failure when it happens which it does on a regular basis um you you've got to always keep that hope alive and realize that one day that hollywood director might just come across your book you never know well, I want to congratulate you on your impressive output. You've written uh, 13 more books than most people who talk about writing a book have ever written. So please, please celebrate that at least because it's a fantastic achievement. And I said, well, thank you. I said at the beginning of the interview, you are all over uh, the web. You've done a lovely job of your web presence. Can you just um, just finish off our chat by saying to people where they can connect with you online, the best places to find you online? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. Just search for Marita King on Facebook. I've got an author page as well as a um, personal page, so um, you should be able to find one or the other. I'm also on Twitter, Marita, at Marita King. Uh, my website, the blog, is maritaking.com. I'm also on Google+. I'm just about everywhere that matters, really. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. 
We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.